Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Modern creative teams are pulled in a thousand directions. Maintaining a functional project plan is hard. Wrangling designers and writers, copy edits and clients, all on deadline, can get messy fast. Most collaboration tools aren't made for creatives and creative projects, but Airtable is. Airtable makes it easy to organize stuff, people, ideas, anything you can imagine. That's why leading creative teams at places like Experience Design Agency Huge, Product Development Agency Planetary, and retail brand United Colors of Benetton use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule and let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com glossy today to get $50 in free credits. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hillary Milnes, and joining me today is Madewell President Libby Wadel. Thanks for joining us, Libby. Thank you for having me. So you've been at Madewell for how long now? So I've been at Madewell for a little over a year um, as in this role full time, but I've really been part of the Madewell team uh, for as long as it's been around. I was really part of the team that really helped incubate Madewell. Oh, awesome. When we started it, yeah. So, so great. So tell us, you, so when you started as president then, mm-hmm. what kind of mindset were you going into when you, when you really took the reins? Um, I'm sure, you know, you've seen it then since it's the beginning, since it's been with J. Crew, uh, what did you want to achieve when you took on that role? Yeah, you know, I think that um, when I took on the role about a year or so ago, I was really thinking about how to, you know, how do we as a team get made well to just sort of be out there in the universe in a in a more important way. And I think what we have learned over the course of growing made well, and it's been a process is, um, We've, you know, what's really important is that people love our genes and they start talking about our genes. And so the really the first order of business when I got in there is to sort of um, build the pillars of the brand really around um, a denim brand and how do you really build a denim brand and around um, how do you, you know, choose an assortment and, uh, you know, create a lifestyle and a community around, you know, a great pair of jeans and why everyone loves your jeans. And so um, really started that energy. You know, we already had a pretty robust denim business. It's a big part of our business, but we, you know, really tried to create um, a real energy around our denim business and build around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that was really the first order of business when I got there. Mm-hmm. And so you, you said, get make sure the brand is out there. Uh, why did pinning it around that that denim category seem like the best way to do that? So you know, you know, and I know this maybe from my history, and you probably know this as just a customer of anything really mm-hmm. in fashion is that when you find um, a great pair of pants or a great pair of jeans that fit you really, really well, you want to tell people about it. You ask people when you see a great pair of jeans on them, where'd you get those? They look terrific. So just having that conversation start is just super important to the business and in, in terms of growth and awareness for the brand. Mm-hmm. So having something that people are passionate about seems the, the best way to get people talking. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so as like a, as a strategy, then how do you, what do you do to, to go make sure people are starting that conversation? Uh, what's, what's the best way to do that today? Yeah. I mean, you have to listen. I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to listen to what 
she's saying and um, really have this feedback loop built in. So, cause you don't always get it right the first time. Uh, and hopefully you get it close to right. Um, but you're always listening to uh, feedback and comments. And when we have uh, a little over 120 stores today, so we don't have a ton of stores, but that's not small. And um, so we have a great sort of community of customers out there coming in and speaking to our associates. Um, and there's this whole community and vibe around our denim bar in the store where we get a lot of like really vital information around our jeans. Um, so that's key. And I would say also uh, just online, you know, the loop in social, sort of, uh, through our website, we get letters, um, just giving feedback all the time really helps sort of build, we build upon the customer feedback. Mm-hmm. She, her opinion, you know, is first and foremost for us. And it really is sort of really, as I said, sort of creates that great feedback loop for us. Yeah, I think the concept of the feedback loop, it seems like everyone's talking about it in retail right now, because being able to die not only gather, but digest and act upon customer data, mm-hmm. what they're saying in both, you know, the, the qualitative data that is a little bit harder to track other than yeah. just straightforward sales. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have the the things in place that, that let you make sure that you were tracking data, especially when it's a little bit harder to parse through because it's in the form of letters and, and social media comments and in-store associate uh, conversations? Yeah, yeah. No, so certainly some of it is anecdotal. Mm-hmm. I think we have gotten a lot more advanced with sort of balancing the anecdotal with the data that we have now to really make the experience as personal Mm -hmm. as it can be. Um, So we, but it is a real balance. And I think there's a way to, um, you know, read the numbers and look at the data and be really critical um, and create a really authentic experience when you're in the store or on the site. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel, you know, too operational or um, like it's a, you know, click, rinse and repeat type of experience. You want right. it to be really uh, human and customized. And, you know, you want to replicate that feeling when she is at the denim bar coming out, you know, of the fitting room and getting that authentic reaction about how the jeans look, how they feel. So that's sort of always at the core of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like that's really pushing new retail models in general. We've talked to Stitch Fix, Rent the Runway. They, they, having that innate ability to capture that customer data and act upon it is is so important now. And so give us a glimpse um, in, in the Madewell offices. Do you have like data scientists sitting alongside merchandisers? Like, what are those conversations that are happening now that, that you think maybe, you know, 10 years ago when, when you were at Madewell weren't weren't maybe happening so much before because it it just didn't seem as pressing. Yeah, no, we do. I mean, I would say that our merchants are now armed with the data that they they didn't have 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you you would come in and you would look at selling reports and you would sort of act on, you know, what you had sold purely. Um, And I would say today there's, um, you know, much more information we're getting from, yeah, the sort of the marketing side of the business that's Mm -hmm sits with the merchandising side and um it's 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 just you know a really nice layer on um to then build the plan for future seasons um that really informs your decisions in a way that um it's not so i'd say reactionary Mm -hmm. to just what you see selling right and and why do you think that's so important today in, in retail just this this idea that the customer is at the center of all decisions but it's like well the customer always had to be at at this and are at least a main priority, but what's, what's changed there? I think that there's a little bit more of an expectation that, you know, as a customer, 
we might already know what that person, what, what you want. I, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to, um, put this in, you know, customer, like from a customer's perspective. But, um, when you get, you know, when you send an email, for instance, you know, it's, it's important that it speaks to me as a customer and, and otherwise I, there, I, I'm always getting tons of emails. So I'm just going to sort of delete through. So if there's something that really speaks to what I was interested in, what I was looking at, a conversation that I may have had, um, and there's data that can help inform that, mm-hmm. um, that's just going to sort of, um, raise the level of interest. I would say for me as a customer, if I, if I get an email, um, that is much more meaningful to me than, you know, something that feels sort of generic. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much more noise. There's so much. Mm-hmm. And how do you, since especially, um, I just want to hear more about Madewell back in when it's being incubated by J. Crew. Yeah. What, what did it, the brand set out to be, especially under that umbrella? And how do you think that might have evolved or changed, especially, you know, we have the rise of all these direct-to-consumer digitally native brands. Uh, you can literally start a brand on Instagram. You don't need to go through the same paths of entry that you used to have to. So... What's that? What's that been like? That journey for you at Madewell? Yeah, I, I mean, I would will say honestly that Madewell is not the same brand that we were when we started, and I think why we are still here today and and we were fairly successful throughout the journey is that we've allowed ourselves to uh, stop and sort of evaluate if this is working and sort of uh, reinvest and and um, really identify, you know the businesses that we want to be known for. And I think the moment a few years ago when we really determined that we wanted to be known for as a great jeans business um, was a super important moment for us. Uh, And and, uh, we really built the brand around that. So I would say that, you know, there were so many, there were quite a few iterations and um, we, we, allowed ourselves to have those iterations because we do try to behave like a smaller company mm-hmm. in everything we do and every decision we make. And so that has allowed us to be really sort of fluid and redefining and evolving uh, made well to the brand it is today. Mm-hmm. And so your customer is um, a younger woman. How about the age younger? Not not super young, but was it like tw- millennials, would you say? Is that Oh, well, you know, I, you know, we, we, we don't think of an age really. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we, I know there's data that could, can tell us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we do, we have a pretty broad range and for sure we're a brand that I, I think a lot of millennials love, but you know, there's plenty of, of women who are older who really appreciate our genes. I love, there's nothing I love more than hearing stories of, you know, mothers and daughters going shopping together. They're both sort of identifying things they love about Madewell. Mm-hmm. So I think we actually have a really nice broad range, mm-hmm. um, but there's always room for growth. Right. It's, and that's such a competitive customer too. So it's good to have some span. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it comes to mind because it's always, Madewell itself is positioned as this, the younger sister brand to J. Crew. Is that like a, persona that you guys feel internally or is that kind of projected on you we think pretty uniquely about Madewell honestly when we think about Madewell we think about um, a woman who's pretty confident in her style and loves to build a wardrobe around a great pair of jeans and is really um, unique about how she goes about it we try to offer a lot of great ideas Mm -hmm. with all the content we run but um, we don't really we don't really compare to other brands we really think about um, who we are um, and, um, yeah, this honestly, that's how we define ourselves. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and it sounds like 
and it doesn't just sound like it's obvious that product is obviously super important, it is. especially with something like denim. If people can be passionate in the other direction too, if they have a bad experience, they'll probably tell, oh, tell yeah. their friends about oh, that. Yes. And I'm yes. sure you've encountered that in some cases, but how do you, as the company has evolved and as you've been, you know, taking in customer data and using that more to heart, how has that changed the design process? Well, you know, the design process has changed in that I would say in my history, and it's long, we don't have to go into that, but, <laughs> but you know, it used to be a little bit more of an unveil, like mm-hmm. ta-da, this is the design team would work on it for like three months in advance and, and they would really unveil the season. And then from there you would get in there and edit based on, like I said before, what you sold. Today, it is a much more collaborative process uh, where you have a lot of great information from the merchants, you have great information from the marketing team, and everyone is in there earlier trying to make really thoughtful decisions Mm -hmm. about the line. Um, And it becomes, honestly, a much more iterative process. It is not an unveil anymore, but it's still a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. and it's still a lot of teams working together, uh, very hands-on. That said, there is, you know, we have an incredibly talented design team um, who have amazing uh, inspiration all the time that informs the, our se- every season that we have. Um, so that is, that part doesn't go away. Right. It, was it a, a do- like a, a period of transition for the designers then to kind of adapt to this mindset or was it just kind of more of a, a shift and a, a slower shift in that direction. It's been a shift. It wasn't all in all of the sudden, but for sure, it's in a it's in a it's a process to adapt um, when you have more opinions, you know, in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a we have a design team that is really clued into what she is looking for, uh, and we um, we're our design team is really interested to hear what our customers are saying. What new customers could be saying. So it's been ve- fairly easy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you mentioned it was a, like a three-month process um, and then had the sort of unveiling and uh, then it was reactionary after the sales. But now is it a faster process too for the for the designers as they're going from conception to development to market? You know, it depends. Uh, it depends. You know, it's, it's some categories can go a little bit faster. But we do still try to be pretty thoughtful uh, about the product that we're building so we don't push it to be super fast. We're not fast fashion. So we've uh, obviously tried to grab back time on the development calendar where we can in categories that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then there are categories that require a little bit longer lead times in order to do the, you know, the fabrics that you want to be able to do. So it really is a balance. We do try to, you know, customize it based on what's right for the category Mm -hmm. and the season. Mm -hmm. How important is newness? Because I feel like we've seeing all these brands you mentioned fast fashion which is obviously a category in its own but that that speed is kind of eking out all over the industry uh and we're seeing brands that release new collections once a week or even once a day how do you sort of see yourself or the madewell brand fitting into that uh push for for faster and more newness all the time we think about it in terms of newness a little bit more like what's the story we have to tell and um, that's important for mm-hmm. sure so being able to speak about something new and exciting it, it may be a new you know fall assortment but it might be a very small collaboration that's meaningful uh, so we really try to map out every season to have something to talk about mm-hmm. Rather Every, than just these like two big drops per year. Yeah, we, we really try to, you know, we really get thoughtful about how we map that season out. And I do think that 
she appreciates that it's not just, you know, a repeat of new arrivals. And there's, you know, really sort of thoughtful, um, interesting stories woven throughout the season. Mm -hmm. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The creative world is constantly evolving, and to keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable is modern software. Its fields can handle any content you throw at them. Add attachments, long text notes, check boxes, links to records and other tables, even barcodes. Whatever you need to stay organized. That's why when the team at WeWork needed a tool to manage their entire creative process from ideation to content creation, they turned to Airtable. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash Glossy to receive $50 in free credits. Uh, you mentioned you have 120 stores. So a little bit more, but yeah, a little bit more yeah. about roughly. <laughs> so how is that customer like navigating? Are they discovering the brand in stores or is, does it happen online? What's that share in sales? Like how do the teams work together? I feel like today a really important thing is just making sure if you have stores, if it has to harmoniously work with the e-commerce business as well for it to overall work. It absolutely, <laughs> it does. It has to work. And uh, it works. It works really nicely. I mean, um, we have we still get you know, and I don't think this is an industry secret. You get most of your new customers through stores. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we know how to do stores, and 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 we have a really lovely connection with um, with the experience online. And we, you know, we're not perfect, but we're trying to, you know we've in places in the business where it really makes sense um, to, for instance, expand your assortment beyond what you'd, you'd want to be able to carry in inventory for in stores, really making that experience pretty seamless for the customer. Mm-hmm. So we were starting in places um, where it would be natural for us, like in denim. Mm-hmm. And how do you cut across with all of the choices that you should be offering her without carrying, you know, every single piece of inventory on the sales floor and what kind of convenience can you offer? So the stores um, have been great at, at really sort of helping us offer that in a way that feels really easy mm-hmm. and honestly really sort of strengthens the connection. Right. And I'm sure you had to kind of change the store experience because even that, you know, we're seeing all these store closings happening. And, and so does that change how you plot out what stores to open next, where to go and what she'll find in store, not even just from an inventory basis, but, you know, here uh, every single day, you know, retail is not dead, but it has to, you have to give people a better reason to come to the store rather than just, oh, what do they have? Because they can do that online. Yeah. You have to be careful today. You have to be really thoughtful about, you know, where you're opening stores, uh, where the people are. Um, Today, you know, we're very deliberate about the new locations and if we have a market where we think there could be a great location, uh, but we don't want to overdo it, we really think about what the assortment is going to be in that new store mm-hmm. to make sure it feels differentiated. So uh, it's not as quick as a process as it, as it used to be. And um, we want to make sure that we make the absolute right decision for every store we open. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because they are the most meaningful point of entry for the brand. And so we want it to still feel like a unique discovery for the customer. Mm -hmm. Right. It has to be much more purposeful than before. It was just if you build it, people will wander in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And as you're as you're plotting that, is it, you know, tailored by the data that you found, like the where where it's opening, as well as what's what people will find in store and what might make sense for that market? How are you making it a little bit more meaningful than it might have been before? Yeah, we have a lot of great data now to help with real estate. So for sure, we use that. And we have, you know, a pretty strong uh, direct business or online business that will really help inform where where people might want to shop in a store. So we definitely look for um, the data online to inform that mm-hmm. um, way more today than we, we probably did even five, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And how does that work? You mentioned you act like kind of a, a younger brand within J crew, just like try to act like a smaller brand, I think is what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, what does J, what can J crew learn from Madewell? You know, I don't know if I could speak to what they can learn. I think, you know, what I've learned is, you know, coming to Madewell, keeping it, I'll just go back to this, just keeping it really small and nimble and dynamic, no matter the growth you're turning out Mm -hmm. is the most important thing to keep the fresh ideas coming. Right. I think that's something that is, is really interesting for our audience, which is a lot of direct to consumer brands. We featured a lot of young digital native brands on the podcast because, but they're in the, the place where, okay, as we're scaling, how do we hold on to this? So, you know, as you guys are sort of navigating that, what have you learned about that? Yeah, you have to, you do have to be thinking about what the next thing is at the same time though, you have to make sure that you're maximizing what you have going on. I think there's a true balance in, you know, making sure the, that you're making the most of, you know, what it, whether it's the item that you're selling or the connection that you're making with the customer. Did you just scratch the surface? Is there more that you could be doing on that topic? And then sort of road mapping out what the next exciting new things um, will be that you want to speak about. So mm-hmm. it's a real balance. Right. And, and so how do you look at investments for the brand in ways that really fit into this customer and, and what you just said, making sure that you keep up the momentum of what you have while pushing the brand forward? You know, you look across the landscape of, of retail today, you have these stores, but you can't just open them like you used to. You have competition online that's sprouting up all the time. You have social media, but it's kind of play to pay to play now. How do you look at it from almost a resource perspective? perspective of where you can prioritize and, and make the most, uh, you know, smartest investments as well as push forward to kind of uncharted territory at the same time. Yeah. I mean, investments you have to make both for an obvious return, but you also have to make investments today to grow your brand and, and the return will always tell you that. So mm-hmm. you have to make really smart decisions. Um, and again, really balance that and take some risks in how you're investing to grow your brand, I would say, and you mm-hmm. won't see an immediate return. And, um, some of that will be through real estate, obviously. And some of that will be through how you're spending your marketing dollars or your digital dollars. Uh, and it's, it's reading and constantly, you know, reading and learning and uh, reinvesting accordingly. But mm-hmm. it's it's not all about, you know, the bottom line. Right. Yeah. So how do you, I think that mindset, especially coming from the very top is, is really important. We hear a lot from people that might be more on the, you know, senior director level that they're trying to explain that something that happens on social media might not, it's like influencer marketing. It might not drive direct sales, but it might leave an impression that 
you know, will stick with someone's mind and then they'll go to the store and shop. It's really hard to track that investment though. So how do you sort of navigate that being at the, at the leader of the brand and say, okay, this isn't going to result in X many conversions, but it's almost like changing the perspective on what success means. There are now ways to measure, you know, the different ways in and how you attribute the sales. Mm -hmm. So there are much more sophisticated ways to look at it. So you can also invest in those ways to really understand how to maximize your investments. Mm -hmm. And so you know whether that brand campaign that you're investing in ultimately, you know, generated the customers or the sales. I think that's the other thing is you can't just look for your investment to flow through from sales. You really have to be able to identify how many new customers you're getting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, the return comes not through sales, but from customers and brand recognition and awareness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And do you have anything that comes to mind when you think of something that you guys invest in as far as like a marketing campaign or social media campaign went that kind of felt like a risk at the time and, and paid off? You know, I think uh, something that we do and we really try to have it be the fabric of it's become really the fabric of of Madewell and our personality is to uh, look to partner brands and collaborations and pick uh, partners who, you know, they might not be well known, you Mm -hmm. know, and obvious big brands. And some could say that maybe we're doing more for them than they're doing for us. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of being able to identify some of these newer off the radar brands as, um, as great ways to collaborate and sort of, you know, uh, show made well in a different way, a different lens, um, has been super valuable for us as we build our brand. Mm -hmm. Great. So like, it's almost like saying we're the tastemakers. You should learn about this brand that you don't know about yet rather than going for the flashiest partner. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm too humble to say that it that (laughs) way, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. And, and what else, um, on the, on the topic of influencer marketing, is that a big, is that a big part of your um, investments as you're looking at different platforms? Um, where would you say you're, you're really um, gung ho about right now when it comes to all the different social media and influencer buzzword things that, that brands feel like they need to do today? Yeah. In, in a lot of ways they do need to do. Yeah. You know, I, we're, we're pretty gung ho in investing, honestly, in getting the word out about Madewell. So there's, you know, many different channels. Influencers are very important. Um, our partners and collaborations are very, very important for us. Um, so I don't know if I would choose just one. Um, we aren't about traditional, you know, means of uh, advertising or marketing mm-hmm. generally. Traditional and you know, you know, in terms of out of home mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. You're not going to see us turn up in a lot of places like that. Um, we want it to feel more organic, more like Madewell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you sort of get caught into this conversation about those jeans that you're wearing. And, oh my God, they're Madewell and how exciting, you know, we want the marketing and the buzz to come from those organic moments. And so we try to find the places to get those conversations started. Mm-hmm. And what, what's worked best? So I would say that these partnerships have really worked well so we've done and we've done some partnerships that wouldn't be so obvious I mean we did a partnership last year uh, with milk bar mm. uh, we did a cookie with them and it just starts a conversation mm-hmm. like funny conversation it's not about sales it's just about getting that sort of buzz and newsy and and ev- people have this passion around milk bar and their cookies and uh, we did this 
actually really good cookie recipe or mix for holiday last year. Mm -hmm. So it's finding those unique moments. And so it's something like that, that is not like big and splashy, but I think sort of causes, you know, you can build events around those kinds of things and and have a lot of great content that comes from those. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not thinking just straightforward product wise. Exactly. Um, Unless, you know, the cookies, the cookies, the cookies are good. (laughs) Uh, So as you're, and I I feel you must get great insight because it's, is it fair to say it's majority direct sales? You're a a standalone retail brand um, rather than one that's been traditionally wholesale, which, you know, a lot of those brands are kind of saying, scrambling now and saying, Mm -hmm. oh my God, we need this customer data. Mm -hmm. We're so hungry for it. Their Mm -hmm. partners aren't giving it to us, but you do have some retail partners. How do you choose them in a way that's smart and makes sense for the brand? Yeah, we don't have many uh, partners, but Mm -hmm. we are pretty deliberate. Uh, and you know our 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 biggest partner it's no secret right now is Nordstrom and they've mm-hmm. been a tremendous partner and because they're pretty transparent with us in terms of you know here's what we're seeing here's what we're hearing and um, it's been it's been a great sort of um, back and forth dialogue with us since we started we started with them really not as a way to generate sales. It was really, again, going back to, we want to be famous for jeans. Who sells jeans? Where do people go to buy jeans? Nordstrom was an obvious choice, you know, that they could really help get us on the map. Mm -hmm. And so we really try to um, determine those partners based on, um, you know, fit with uh, a Madewell customer or a potential Madewell customer and um, who would sort of help get us on the map in certain markets. Right. So it's kind of like this in-store experience where it's not dead. And when it comes to picking wholesale partners, wholesale retail is not dead. It's just more about being deliberate rather than overstocked and, and kind of just wherever you could possibly be. Yeah. You want to pick the right partner. Mm-hmm. And I have this a personal theory that going forward, we're going to see a lot more of that deliberation coming together when it comes to brands and and retailers like Nordstrom, like other department stores, almost as like a force against the overlooming threat of Amazon, because you have these department stores that, that want to work with the brands that are kind of kind of putting brands first in a way that Amazon isn't. And if they're able to kind of have a relationship that works on both sides, it's, it's going to make a difference as, as Amazon's trying to take over more, more capital in the fashion world. Mm -hmm. Is that ever something that you, think about or or do you do you feel that that Amazon shadow you know I can't I I don't know that I can speak to that specifically I can say that you know what we think about at Madewell is you know the customer connection Mm -hmm. and and knowing that that will be always our big differentiator how do we create a community around that how do we build a loyalty program that builds meaningful relationships and connections and it's not too transactional Mm -hmm. and at the same time how do we make the the uh the commerce part as seamless and easy as possible. So that goes back to the stores balancing it with the site to make sure that feels really easy. So for us, it's really about balancing the human customer connection with the convenience and have it feel uniquely made well. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like online e-commerce startups, not startups, but just not even Amazon alone, but other companies that have really shaped the way people shop online are, are kind of setting the tone for how customers want to shop in general in terms of how it's seamless and how quickly things get to them. And, and is that something that you feel that you need to at least keep an eye on? Yeah, I would say it made well. I mean, part of, you know, why we, we stay sm- we like to stay small, we think, or we don't want to stay small, we think mm-hmm. small, you know, 
we pay attention and there's always something to learn. And I, you know, I think it's amazing what a lot of people are doing out there. And um, I, there's always a great conversation about what we could be doing differently and better. There's a lot of evolution going on at Madewell all the time. Mm-hmm. And the conversation just stays very dynamic. And we don't just, you know, s- stay with what we're doing because we've been doing it for a long time. We really do try to move forward. Yeah. And so we're constantly inspired. Great. And, and what do you see as, a, as the biggest threat that is facing brands today if they're not thinking that way? Well, I think that might be the biggest threat. The other, yeah. I answered my own question. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just, I think you have to, uh, you have to really think about what motivates her to come to you, mm-hmm. and you know, what is she passionate about? You know, I, I was telling someone the story uh, this weekend. I was, you know, at at a at a little event thing for my kids, and there were a bunch of people there, and uh, there were these two women. Uh, who were wearing Madewell jeans and, you know, they were together. One was, you know, maybe mid-30s, one was maybe in her mid to upper 50s, and they were wearing both white Madewell jeans. One was a lower rise, one was a higher rise. And, you know, I didn't know them that well, but I couldn't help myself but go over and start a conversation, just talk about their jeans. And they were so excited to talk about it, and they're not in the fashion business. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of emotion about why they loved them. And and just, I think, creating that energy, it's like an electric like it's like it's like an electric connection it's like really fun to sort of have these conversations about the genes mm-hmm. and how great they feel and so for us to maintain that energy around just the conversation of madewell is you know i think our secret sauce right so you think that customers today do still care about brands i think that customers care about how brands make them feel mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the name of the brand and as much as, you know, what we, you know, deliver to them in the product. So I think we're only as good as how well we build our jeans, mm-hmm. uh, how innovative we are, how they fit. I think that's what counts. Mm-hmm. You can't get away. You can't get by on, on the name alone. I don't think so. Great. Well, thanks so much, Libby. I think we're just about out of time, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was fun. All right. Of course. And thank you for listening. A special thanks to Aditi Songo, the producer of this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.